want to talk a little bit about gifts today. Title our series called The Gifts. I want to look at our text, Matthew chapter 2, and let's read that. When they saw, talking about the Magi, the wise men, they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to talk about the very first gifts ever given at the very first Christmas. Why these gifts? What's so significant about gold, frankincense, and myrrh? And what, I want to look at each gift, and actually what I want to do is I want to see how these gifts could perhaps, and I do believe they do, apply and mean to my life. You know, when you have a gift, a gift typically compliments who you are. I'm not a cowboy. If someone gave me a cowboy hat for Christmas, I would probably not understand the purpose of it. I don't wear cowboy boots. I wouldn't understand. So, so that wouldn't make sense to me. But if they gave me, you know, uh, a, you know a sports shirt or something like that, I, I would probably be very excited about something like that. And, and I think that gifts are like that. I think gifts, what they really do, they complement who you already are. They, they don't define you. They just complement who you already are. So, someone bought you a sweater or gave you a sweater, and you wear it a few days later, and they, they look at you, you walk in the room, and they go, oh, that is so you. What do they mean? You're a sweater? No, you're not a sweater. But the sweater complements you. It defines who you are. It's so you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, that is so you. That is just so you. And that gift isn't you, it's just a compliment. The Magi, it's interesting, the Magi could have bought, brought Jesus any kind of thing. They could have brought, bought him, brought him silver, they could have brought him pearls, they could have brought him, uh, you know, a camel, a dog, a cat, a, a, a blanket, a, a crown, a robe. They could have brought him many other things, but the Bible's very specific on this aspect of what was given to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why? Because gifts, these gifts, would complement who Jesus really is. The gifts spoke of his nature. I like the word gifts. You'll look it up in your Greek language dictionary, which I'm sure we all have and we read all the time. It would say storehouse or a magazine or repository, a place that you think of of a lot of things. You, you think, uh, you know, I'm going to go to the storehouse. I'm going to go to uh, my storage unit. You don't, you don't think of a little closet. You think of something rather big. And I want to get, just talk a little bit about even just gifts from I, when I, when I read about these, these wise men bringing them gifts, I don't believe it was a, a couple little small packages, you know, that you would get from K Jewelers or something. You know, it's, I'm talking about storehouse. I'm talking about this was a lot of stuff. And why do you think it was a lot of stuff? Because Joseph and Mary didn't know at the time, but soon they would be on a journey to Egypt, a place that they're not familiar with, but they had to get out of town because of a dream that Joseph would have that the king would be coming to threaten the lives of all the young children 
children in that community. And so they had to get up and get out of Dodge. And they didn't have nothing to get out of Dodge with. So, But God knew. God knew that they would need some substance, some kind of a means to make a long-distance travel and live there for a period of time, perhaps several years. We don't know how long. And how I, what encourages me about that, that scripture and the, just the, the aspect of the gifts was that, that, that God knew that they needed a means to, to, to live by. And th- you know what? That, that tells me that God always knows what you need long before you even realize you need something. Come on. Isn't that beautiful? And he gives you the storehouse if you can. He, he, he will provide for you the needs before you even have it. I want to give some groundwork and some background this morning about, about this story. But before I do, let me just say this, and I think this is important to understand. That yes, I love to celebrate the Christ, and I love to celebrate the birth of Christ, but I love the, uh, the, the fact that, that that Christ now lives in me. It's, that's the greatest gift, right? That, that he lives in me, and he lives in you. That the nature of Christ, when I received him into my heart, when I said, enough of me, I'm done with my life, I'm gonna make you the Lord of my life, that in that moment, the very nature, the, the way God thinks, the way God feels, the way God walks, moves, his actions, his personality in, in a sense, the way he lives his life, the nature of Christ, the DNA, his nature, now lives inside of me. And in many ways, I become the hands and the feet of Christ in the earth. So do you. It's the gift that God gives us. He now lives within us. And the gifts that the Magi brought, they complemented the Christ. But guess what? Here's the deal. The gifts that the Magi brought, the Christ, now complement me. Because Christ now reflects who's inside of me. Come on, somebody. So when you talk about the frankincense, the gold, and the myrrh, I was thinking about this, it wasn't just a gift for him, but guess what? It's also a gift for me because I have the same nature of Christ. Is this too much? Are y'all okay? Y'all like, man, I saw kids in pajamas this morning. Am I in the right place? (laughs) Pajama Sunday. I like that. I think we should have one for adults. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, we, come on. I don't know, that could be a scary thing. You know, I don't know. Some of you, I'm like, whoa. Let me give you a little background. I I mean, I'm gonna take a little license this morning. Uh, Some of this that I'm gonna just kind of play up may or may not. I like like to go to movies that are based upon a true story. It may not be the total facts, but but you don't know all the facts, but you have to, somehow, you you know, you have to kind of make it real. I'm going to try to make it real just for a few moments if you give me the liberty. And if you go like, well, I don't read that in the Bible, I'm telling you ahead of time, probably not in the Bible. But I'm going to just tell you that. But we're going to, we're going to try to go back in time for a few minutes and, and just put ourselves in that moment. What would that perhaps have looked like? The Magi showing up at your front door. So we start with Mary and Joseph, the, 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 the mother, the father, if you would, the earthly father of, of Jesus, the Christ, the baby. And it's dark outside. Perhaps Joseph has worked late. He's in the shop, the meager shop he has in the back behind the house working on a piece of furniture or whatever for his neighbor or whatever he's doing. And, and perhaps Mary is washing the dishes. G- little Jesus is now almost two years old at this time. Some of you 
probably don't understand that because when you think of the wise men, you think of a baby in a manger, but that doesn't co line up with Scripture. Uh, it does with the shepherds, but not with the wise men. The, Jesus is now in a house. He's grown up a little bit. So, so this is when the wise men find him. So we see little junior Jesus or Jesus in the corner, perhaps building something. That's what every almost two-year-old Messiah does when he's playing by himself. He's got his building blocks. He's playing in the corner, being a good little Jesus Messiah. And, and, and they hear some shouts Mary does outside and Perhaps she hears a, a, you know, a crowd or she hears a dogs, dogs barking and things like that, a conversation is taking place, which probably not unusual in Bethlehem at that time. Bethlehem, an interesting city, pretty quiet town, town most of the time, but, but travelers did pass through coming from Jerusalem or to Jerusalem. And, uh, Bethlehem, an interesting little town, uh, not your, your resort area, not your typical you know, place where you would imagine somebody important living. It, it wasn't known as a destination place. It was just a, a, a small little community outside Jerusalem. It had quite a few shepherds that lived there. Shepherds were not the kind of people that you would want living in your community. They were the lower class people at that time in that culture. Uh, when you didn't, couldn't get a job, you didn't have nothing else to do, well, you just watched sheep, and, and that's what you did. And, and it, was the, it, it was Bethlehem, though, that, that, that was known for its shepherding, and, which was unusual at that time because in Israel, they wouldn't let shepherds and sheep around Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the city. It was the New York City of the Middle East. We didn't want a lot of riffraff, you know, talking about around Jerusalem. We wanted this place to look nice. So shepherds and shepherding and sheep were not allowed around the outskirts of Jerusalem except for Bethlehem. If you wanted to watch sheep or if you were a shepherd, we needed you, we needed you in Bethlehem. And only the good shepherds and only the shepherds that really knew how to raise quality sheep because they needed someplace close that they could go and grab sheep so they could make sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. So they had to have like a little area where they could grab these animals for their sacrifices. But other than that, sheep were not allowed anywhere around Jerusalem. So we have shepherds out in the fields. We have shepherds uh, great, uh, watching their sheep and things. Bethlehem, other than that, it's a quiet little town and not a lot going on. Mary, here's a commotion coming down the street. I'm sure she's like, what is this? What is this? Maybe before long, there's a knock on the door. And she opens her beautiful crafted wooden door made by her husband, Joseph, because the carpenter can't have a raggedy old door. And she opens the door. She picked up Jesus before she opens the door. It's like, I don't know if I should, I don't know if I should answer the door, but I will. And she opens the door holding Jesus and oh, oh my goodness. What she's about to see Blows her mind. It's as if the sun had come out. It was like it was like ten moons and the and the full moons, just the, the brightness uh, as looked like perhaps there was a star overhead. And all is like day had, had appeared and, and not only was it bright, there was like these people and animals, camels, uh, right in front of her little home. And she's like, whoa! And Joseph hears her yell, and he comes running from the back shop. What's going on? What's going on? And there in front of them are these 
these wise men, these, these magi. Who, who, who are these magi, wise men? Well, we really don't know where they came from. The Bible says they came from the east. Theologians seem to believe that they were of a priesthood of the Medes from the Mesopotamia area, a Persian area. And so they were a group of people, much like the Levites to the Israelite culture, the Jewish culture. They were like the priesthood, if you would, of the Medes, Median culture. And they were considered very intellectual, very wise, and these specifically very spiritual men. In fact, they were so uh, important that when a king in those days would have people sitting beside him and around him, there was only two types of people allowed, the generals of his army on one side and the wise men or the magi on the other side. They were his consultants, if you would. They were familiar with the palace and the makings and the and the duties of the palace, they were, they, were, they were very comfortable talking back and forth with the leaders and the kings of that day and time. So this wasn't just a bunch of little, you know, weird star followers from some distant country. These were very important people. We believe that these particular wise men, these magi, had read the scriptures they no doubt had access to because it had been given to them by Daniel years ago in the same, in, in the, in the same um, uh, uh, culture that they were, Daniel had been brought from the Hebrew culture and now lived and grew up and through five administrations there in the, the Median, uh, Medio uh, Persian Empire. And so now they, they're probably descendants somehow uh, and it caught on to the teachings of Daniel, no doubt believed in a God and no doubt had studied the scriptures that Daniel had provided years before and no doubt had begin had gotten a revelation that there was a Messiah that was going to come to the earth. They would be the, for the saving of mankind. And as they begin to read and understand this, uh, something happened. We don't know how it happened, what happened, but they got the revelation that this Messiah had been born. And they had to make a journey to come see this child. And not just to see the child, but to make provision. God had put it in their heart and stirred their heart somehow, some way, that they needed to make some kind of provision for this child. And so I could hear them talking around the coffee shop and did you, I got a revelation. I got, I heard, yeah, I, God appeared to me. God showed, I've got a sign. I got a, I got a confirmation. I got, I read this, I got blah, blah. And they began to come up with a strategy to come and make a long distance track uh, to someplace as they began to see a star show up in the sky. And they came to this conclusion that God was in this this, this plan and that they should bring gifts and follow this star and somehow this star would lead them to the answer for all the earth. And so they packed up their goods. I can see them telling their wives, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a trip. Where are you going? I, I'm gonna go find the answer. You've lost your mind. Well, I, yes. Where's it gonna take you? I have no clue. And by the way, I need the checking account. I need our savings account number. I'm gonna pull out some gold from our savings. Why? I'm gonna give it away. To who? I don't know. This would be a hard conversation, but being a wise man, I'm sure they were able to manage and navigate this conversation with their wife. And they all begin to make this track. Now, now your little manger scene says there's three wise men. But that's not true. And, there, and your manger scene says it's three wise men at, at a little manger. 
And can I tell you that there were shepherds at the manger, but there were not wise men. This is about a year and a half, two Jesus is in a house by now. They're not showing up at a manger. They're showing up at Jesus' residence. But what I think was so fascinating is what must have happened when they laid their eyes upon this baby with the star right above their heads, with the seemingly like the light of day in their midst. When Mary opened that door, probably Jesus in her arms. When they laid their eyes upon this little child, something began to happen. We don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been three. There could have been five. There could have been 10, 15, 20. 30, we don't know. But it was enough wise men to cause all of Jerusalem to be in an uproar. I don't think three would have done that. So my opinion, it was a, a large crowd of magi, wise men, kings, consultants had come from afar and had come to, through Jerusalem and now show up at the door of, of, of Jesus in Bethlehem and, and, and Mary sees these ornate covered camels and these beautifully dressed men wearing silk costumes, robes, whatever, things perhaps on their head, turbans on their head, dust all over their face. They look weary. They look tired. They look like they've been on a long road trip. They, they no doubt had spent a lot of energy and time just to get here. Perhaps it took them months, perhaps even years, a year, a year and a half to even get here. We, it was a long road to get here, but finally when the door opens and they see that child, there was a divine moment that took place. It was like God came from heaven and touched the earth and they felt the kiss of an almighty God when they laid their eyes upon this little child. And they begin to kneel. Perhaps they begin to fall to their face. Uh, perhaps they put, they buried their face in the in the dust of there outside the door of Mary's house. Uh, oh, they begin to think to themselves, uh, "Is it true? I, I finally have found uh, the answer." They 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 they, they looked up uh, and they begin to say things like, "Oh, I worship you. Oh, I adore you. Oh, I glorify you. Oh, I thank you. Oh, I give my life to you. Oh." Mary's like, I don't know what's happening. Joseph's like, this is weird, but something about it, it feels like God's in it. It feels right. I don't get it. Have you ever had those moments? You don't understand, but God shows up and you feel the presence of God and you go, just go with it, baby. Just, just go with it. And Joseph and Mary are like, I, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to go with it. And, 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 and suddenly they, they begin to hear the exclamations and the praise coming from these wise men because they laid their eyes upon something that they never had dreamed possible they would ever see experience in their life. They had laid their eyes upon God's answer for the earth. It was unexplainable. It was, it was unattainable, they thought. It would, it would be like 
a deaf man uh, hearing for the first time, uh, like a blind child being able to see for the first time. Uh, it, you, can't ex- you can't explain uh, the joy and the, the, the peace and the, and the happiness uh, that comes upon a person who's finally got that which they've hoped for their whole life. Uh, and I can just see him fighting for one another. Hey, hey, uh, can I hold him? Can, would you mind if I hold him? And uh, no, I want to hold him. No, I'm going first. Uh, you go second. I, oh, come on. And you grab it. And little Jesus being passed uh, across from Mary's arms. She's like, I don't know it, but I feel right about you guys. Here he is. And, and he takes them. You can see the Magi. And he puts them in his arms. Uh, and he cannot believe he is holding God in his arms. His knees probably begin to shake. He goes, here, here. And he passes them on. And they stare in the eyes of this little gibberish child. Little snot-nosed child. And everything begins to come to life because now they understand the gift from God is here. A tool that God has chosen from the foundations of the earth uh, to redeem mankind. Uh, The answer that my child uh, and my children's children and my great-grandchildren will experience, the answer for all of humanity, the answer for all of history, I'm holding in my hands uh, that which will one day heal and cure diseases, uh, which through his life will come miracles, uh, and through his life, Life, uh, will come the riddance of sin uh, and death uh, and the grave. Uh, oh, I'm holding it in my arms uh, and I'm so thankful, oh God, for this gift that you've given me to hold who you are in the earth. I would have passed out. You would have found me. They would have probably had the whole wonderful time and they would have finally shaken me and go, JP, it's time to go. We, we've done our thing. What do you mean? I, I'm sure they didn't even want to go. I'm sure Mary and Joe's like, hey, we can't fit all of you, but come on in as much as you can. Joe probably said, hey, hey, Paul, you need to go get the gifts. We got some gifts. Oh, you had the gifts. And they go begin to unlatch the leather straps on the camels and pull down these huge trunks, taking two or three, four guys to carry into the house. Joseph's like, what is going on? We felt compelled. We had to bring you gifts. I can tell, I can see them sitting there with a cup of tea, watching Jesus play with his blocks. There's probably not much conversation going on. I imagine there was tears coming down their eyes, cheeks. The Messiah. God in human form. And I'm here. And I, I, can, I can finally hear one of the Magi turn to Joseph and Mary and say, take care of them. Don't let them out of your sight. Whatever you do, guard his life. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what we're doing. 
And here's gifts for you. We felt like God wanted us to bring you gold and frankincense and myrrh. And now we know why. Because every one of these gifts reflect the nature of who Jesus would become and who he was in seed form. And actually, who you and I are. So we're going to break these gifts open for just a, a few minutes. Is that okay? Next couple hours, we're just going to take it and just... Frankincense. Frankincense. Um, some of you may be familiar with frankincense. Maybe others not. Why frankincense? I mean, who's ever been given like the gift of frankincense at Christmas? You know? Oh, sweetheart. I was expecting the diamond ring, but thank you for the frankincense. I mean, how do you recover from that? You know what? But frankincense, it's an interesting uh, fragrance. It comes from the Boswellia tree in the Arabia Peninsula area. It's not something you probably would plant in your yard. Twisted, gnarly looking tree. It's an interesting thing about this freaking, where this frankincense comes from. What they would do is they, they would come and they would, they would make a cut in the limb of this tree. As they would make a cut from this tree, out would come this like the size of a hen egg resin. And over the course of two to three months, it would, it would crystallize and they would come back later and they would, they would harvest this crystal-like substance and that was be, it would become the, the form of, of frankincense. I put a little frankincense here on, on the coals. The first service I put too much and almost had overdosed over frankincense. <laughs> I love the smell. I've been smelling it all week. What does it smell like? It smells good. That's what men say. That's what men say. Men say, I don't know. It just it smells good. You know, it's like a white substance. They called it the... They, some people call it the tears, this substance that comes out. And they say that this kind of tree that we just looked at can actually even grow out of marble. And, and they even said this, that, that the harder it is or the rougher the terrain that most trees or plants can't grow in, when, when a frankincense tree grows out of that Rougher terrain, the rougher the terrain that it comes from, the sweeter the fragrance. Oh, that'll preach. There's a fragrance coming from your life, baby. Don't curse the hard times. Just wait for the fire to light you and set you on fire. And they, they, they say that, that frankincense in addition to the warm, sweet pine smell with a hint of citrus, gives off. That even in India to this day, they, 
they will use it to and light it when they bring the newborn baby home, and they will light this frankincense because it is it, it gets rid of insects, especially mosquitoes, and which is would bring malaria to the young child, and and so they they use it for that, and it's also used to for breathing treatments for people that have uh, bronchitis and and asthma, and it reduces swelling of the joints and lockjaw and all sorts of wonderful things that this frankincense is good for. It's defined as the definition of it is called pure smoke. I don't see a lot of it happening right now, but the first service we had a whole lot. So I'm going to just pour some frankincense on my hot coals. See if we can get a fire going. Cities would grow up literally around the trade routes that traded this frankincense. They would have caravans carrying frankincense up to two to 3,000 camels long. Now, now, think about that. You think about a railroad train is waiting for the railroad train to go by at the tracks. Think of two to 3,000 camels going by. You're 98 years old by the time it gets done going by. Frankincense was valued equally as gold, okay? So it was a very important fragrance. In fact, Alexander the Great, before he died, was making and plotting a plan to overtake all the frankincense trading routes in that time because it was such a, a wealthy product and way of living. So... I want to give you, so that's nice, nice to learn a little bit about frankincense. And if you can smell, it smells really good. Let's talk about what frankincense means to me, what it meant to Jesus. The Magi realized, I believe, supernaturally, that, that this Messiah would become the great high priest. And if you think of frankincense, frankincense is synonymous with the priesthood. Whoa. Come on, brother. Bring on the fire. Okay. Okay. Thank you, brother. Awesome. That was amazing. For those watching online, we're glad you're watching, and those as well from the county jail. That was, that was equal to the Holy Spirit showing up in your life right there. Look what the Holy Spirit does. You'll be smelling it in a minute. Thank you, Rick. But the Magi realized that this child would grow to be the great high priest, therefore knowing what priests and frankincense had in common, they brought in frankincense. It was a symbol, a sign, a prophetic gift of what Jesus would become, our great high priest. Why, why frankincense? Because every time the high priest would go into the holy place, he would carry within him frankincense. He would make sure that on the altar of incense, which was the last piece of furniture before the veil, before the Ark of the Covenant, it was the last piece of furniture that was there, and it would burn a fragrance all the time, day and night, 
this altar of incense would be there before the curtain into the Ark of the Covenant, and it would have this aroma, this smell, this, the anointing oil, the ingredient, main ingredient of anointing oil in that time was the frankincense. They, they anointed priests, they anointed kings, important people were anointed with frankincense. If you were a priest, you were used to dealing with this odor, this, this uh, smell. In fact, you could tell when, when a priest walked by without even looking because you could smell him walk by. Because he was always living and dwelling in the midst of this aroma called frankincense. And he would take on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, in the Jewish calendar, the, the greatest day of the Jewish year, he would take, a, when the, he would take a, a censer and he would fill it with the coals from the altar, which was filled with frankincense. He would put it in the censer with that a little chain on it. And he'd walk into the Holy of Holies uh, along with the, the blood that had been uh, sacrificed on the altar, on the sacrifice outside the, the tent. And he would bring those two things uh, and he would wave this, this smoke around and fill the room with the aroma of frankincense. And he would dab the mercy seat uh, with the blood of the lamb, uh, all signifying that today, on this day, the day of atonement. Uh, all of your sins uh, have been forgiven, been washed away. God remembers them no more. He gives you a reprieve from that which you deserve. He goes out from the temple of the holy place and the holy of holies. Uh, he finds the goat. He lays his hands upon the goat. Uh, he imputes the sins of the nation upon this goat. Uh, he leads the goat outside the city. Thus why Jesus uh, on Calvary had to go outside the city. He leads the goat uh, who has now been imputed with the sins of the nation. Uh, and he leads them out and he puts, brings them to a death, throws them over a cliff, whatever, to see this goat no more. The goat never comes back around anymore. It's a sign. It's a symbol. It's a message to the people that your sins have been forgiven at the mercy seat, been imputed by the sinless, spotless lamb, took out of the city, and now you're separated from sin forever and ever and ever. Can you give God some praise? You would ask the priest, what's your job description? He goes, I, he would say, I deal with sin. I'm the sin dealer with guy. It's my job to represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. I stand between the two, the priest would say. I use frankincense as my approval, as my, as my calling card, as my badge, as my title. And I go before the Lord and I ask God to deal with sin because you see, sin has to be dealt with. Why? Because we live with a holy God. And we can never take sin casually. It's not a subject that you can take casually. If you take sin casually, an attitude of casualness towards sin, you will never find intimacy with God because your God cannot dwell in an atmosphere where there is sin. Some would say, I don't sense the presence of God. I don't feel God. Well, maybe it's because you need to go back to the altar. Maybe you need to go to the place of repentance again. Maybe you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness again because the Lord will come and he will cleanse you. But God will not live and dwell in an atmosphere of sin in the earth. And he knew that from the garden and he knows that now. And so he ordained a priest to go before him so he could have a relationship, even though distance as it was, with a people 
called Israel. He longed to be with his people as he still longs to this day. He longs for a people that would rise up and find the frankincense of the hour and say, my God, here am I. I come into your presence. I come clean. I come holy. I come to experience intimacy with you, my God. Mm. He dealt with everything God was and everything we were not. And he tried to make the connection between us and God. And so the Magi would come and they would offer him frankincense because they knew that there would be anybody that could deliver us from the mess that we were in. It would be a priest, but a priest like no other, a sinless priest, where he himself would take the sins of the world upon himself, would nail him to a cross, and would once and for all deal with that which harms us all. So here's the good news. Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest, Jesus, who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Come on, somebody. Ooh. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. We don't come to God as beggars. We don't come to God as second class. We come boldly. Man, if you'd come at this time, let me just close with this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. Here's the good news. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all times one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Oh, can I just say the priest, when, if you had the job of a priest, you never sat down. You were on your feet all the time. Your hands were full of blood. You were around blood all the time, constantly making sacrifices, and you're, you never sat down. But Jesus, he sat down. You know why he sat down? He sat down because there's no more sacrifices to be made. The work's been done. It's finished. Now we come boldly, and now he sits at the right hand of God, Romans 8, who then is the one who condemns? No, no one. 
Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Not only is he sitting down, knowing that the work's been done, but he sits there next to God, he prays for you. Aren't you glad you have someone like Jesus praying for you? Yeah. And so we have this great high priest. Uh, the story in 1930, King Charles VIII was going to, of England, was going to give a speech to the Naval Academy in London, and it was also going to be aired in America. Supposed to be a very important speech. And so, WJZ out of New York City was going to broadcast, because in those days everything was mostly by radio. He's going to broadcast this great message by King Charles. And so, right before he's about to take the lectern and begin his speech, in the radio station, one of the workers tripped over the cable that communicated from England to the station. It was ripped in half, severed. The producer of the station was like, what? What are we going to do now? How are we going to hear what the king has to say? And one of the, according to the news article, one of the interns ran over, grabbed the England wire, grabbed the station wire, and held it for the entire speech and became the conduit for the speech to be broadcast throughout America. Save the day. A little intern. Can I tell you that Jesus became that conduit for us? There was a message that needed to be given from a loving God to a sinful mankind. And Jesus walked into the earth. The word priest means bridge builder. He literally became the bridge builder between lost man and a loving God. And he connected the two wires together. So where now I don't need a priest to go before God, to talk to God for me. I now can go straight to my God in my prayer closet, in my car, on my job, in my school, and I can give God a conversation from my heart. Now, here's the best news. The same gift that was given to baby Jesus in a sense has been given to us because Christ lives in us. So what does that mean, preacher? I said, that means that we too have become now priests in the earth. Oh, come on now. This is where it hits home. You are a priest in the earth. Oh, I don't believe you, preacher. Okay, well, there we go. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, priest. Come on. Woo! Yeah, that's good. Turn to your other neighbor and tell him you smell like frankincense. 
Look at this. Revelation 1.6, and he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Revelation 5.10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Listen, he's made us to be priests now in the earth, not, not someday when we die up in heaven, uh, we'll all be priests up in heaven. No, he's made you to be a priest in the earth. What's a priest do? A priest connects God to the earth. He stands in the t- between. He's the bridge builder between the lost, the unsaved, the hurting, and a loving, forgiving, merciful God. In this world, I don't feel like I'm qualified. I don't think I'm good enough. I, yes, you are. He went to a cross so you could be qualified. Well, one day I'll be like you, preacher. Maybe, you know, I, you know, maybe I can get my act together. Listen, ask my wife. I don't have my act together. Don't try to be like me. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So you're never going to come to that point where you're now ready to be used by God. If that's what you're waiting for, you're going to die waiting for that moment. The point is to take your your role as a priest now in your weakness, in your flaws, in your stuff that you got. Allow the blood of Jesus to wash over you. Allow the fragrance of the presence of the priest to flow over you and go, I'm going to serve. And I believe God somehow is going to use me with all of my stuff to touch and connect to God to my people here on this earth. Come on, somebody. Do you understand? You have a role to play in the earth. And if not you, then who? If not now, then when? But pastor, I, I, even as, I, as I'm saying, I'm feeling the pushback. Yeah, well, he's not talking to me. He's talking to everybody else, not talking to me. No, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. We are kings and priests. Get it into your head. Get it into your heart. Pour the sense of the fragrance around you. I was born for this moment. I'm here on this earth for a reason. I'm in the school I'm at for a reason. I'm in, I'm in this juncture of life for a reason. I'm on this job for a reason. I'm in this marriage for a reason. I'm, a, I'm in this community for a reason. There's, there's a reason why I'm here. Yeah, you're here right where you're at for a reason, and that's to be a priest. Yeah. Amen. There may be people here this morning you don't know what I'm talking about, a relationship with God. Yeah, it's through Jesus Christ. It can happen to anybody here, and for most of us it has, because you prayed a prayer of surrender. You said, Father, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my life. I give my life to you. We're gonna have our prayer teams come and stand at the front. And if you wanna know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we wanna pray with you at the end of service. And not only that, but if you just need prayer about anything, we wanna pray with you as well, yeah. We have anybody on our prayer team that's gonna come down? Come on. <laughs> You're like, we are? That's what we're gonna do. Yeah. Amen.
But this morning, all I want to do is, is something really simple. I just want us, I know it sounds weird, even it sounds weird saying it, but I want, to, I want us to embrace our priesthood, <laughs> the priesthood of the believers. Because, you know, I don't know what, I, I, don't know what I, I want to do with my life, preacher. Well, can I tell you what you should do with your life? Be a priest. Whatever that looks like, whenever and wherever you are, be a priest. So here's your action item. We're going to pray and dismiss. Here's your action item this week. In, in, in school, we would call it homework, but I, don't, I never liked that word. So it's not homework. It's home giving, okay? Home blessing, home gift. Here's your opportunity. This week, I want you to find one person. In fact, I want you to be thinking about right now as I'm talking that you're going to make a determined action to serve, to love, to give. Maybe it needs to be a conversation, take someone out to eat. Maybe it needs to be a text. Maybe it needs to be a, a, a visit, knock on a door. You, you, you got to become a priest sometime. So why not now? Why not now? And you know what's going to happen? You're going to show up at that door, and you're going to make that phone call, send that text, and they go, you know what? I was just thinking of you, or how did you know I needed to hear that? Or, man, I'm so glad to talk to you. I, I'm going through something right now. I need somebody to talk to. It's amazing what happens when you just step out of your comfort zone and surf. You're not, you're not going asking people to give you money for to play on the lottery. You're not, you're not asking people for a favor. You're not asking someone to come hang up your Christmas lights. You're just asking someone, can I serve you? I, I got a text this week from somebody, Pastor JP, how can I pray for you? I'm like, oh, that's so nice. That's so kind. I call somebody, how's your soul? How's your heart? How are you? And let us be the priests in the earth. Amen? So let, let us pray. Can we stand to our feet and let me pray for you? Just pray for you right here. Yeah. Maybe reach over and put your hand on someone's shoulder next to you. Can you do that? It's like one family. Yeah. Just put your hand there on their shoulder. Yeah. You're, you're, you got your hands on a priest. Woo, be careful. They're holy. Father, thank you that you called us to be priests in the earth. The conduit, the bridge builders between you and hurt and pain, despair. We grab a hold of you today. We say, oh God, use me beyond my wildest imagination. Put people on my heart this week, burden me. Let me just wake up in the middle of the night with people on my heart. I just ask you, God, to, just to make me a priest in the earth. I say thank you for that. Thank you for hearing this prayer.
Repeat after me, say this. I am a priest of the living God. I will serve him and do his bidding. In Jesus' name, amen.